Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, and I fear I have set us up for failure. Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means embarking on an ambitious, crazy, impossible task. Hopefully fun, hopefully more fun than homework. It is the ultimate Ohio State draft. These are the parameters. Ohio State has 90 players in its history who have been first round NFL draft picks. The three of us are attempting to analyze those 90 players as prospects, as they were viewed when they left Ohio State and were preparing for the NFL. And then we are going to draft a first round of those players. We are going to draft 32 of the 90. We are attempting to put into context guys from the 30s and 40s and 50s with guys from the Woody era, with guys from the Cooper era, with guys from the modern day. Actually, there's not a a ton of guys in the 30s, right? I think the first draft pick for Ohio State was like in 38. So listen, it's going to lean a little recent. What What can we tell you? We're living in this world. So Don Scott's probably not going to get picked. No offense to the late, great Don Scott. But we're going to try. And the way we're thinking of it, and Nathan, we have tried to like, like, what is this? What is this? Buckeye talk. We are attempting in the modern day to think as modern day NFL GMs. We are not assigning anybody to teams because we don't want to have somebody go lower in our draft because we feel like, the Detroit Lions really want to see what they have in Jared Goff, so they're not going to take Arch Schleister. Like that's not what we're doing. We're just taking, we're t- making thirty-two draft picks, but we're trying to think like if if the draft was happening right now, and Hop Cassidy, and Jack Tatum, and Corey Stringer, and Garrett Wilson, and C.J. Stroud were all in the player pool. What would current NFL teams do, Nathan? And this is a little bit difficult because the game has changed so much. The first Ohio State receiver taken in the first round didn't happen until the 90s. Meanwhile, they were like running first round running backs through every other year in the 50s and 60s. But we're trying to do it now. So we acknowledge positional value is going to come into this. And some of the guys back in the day who were viewed as great players, just the way the game is now, that's changed a little bit. So you're trying, well, how would people view Eddie George now? How would people view some of the great linemen Ohio State had in the early years now? That's what we're trying to do, Nathan. A modern lens as if the draft pool for this right now draft was only these 90 guys in Ohio State history. Is it impossible, Nathan? No, I mean, I'm really intrigued by this, and I think it's going to have a nice duality to it because on the one hand, I think it's going to help us define, we throw around the term generational talent a lot. I think this is one of the ways you can define generational talent. Be like, oh, would he be a first round draft pick this year? Like, because it's someone who, even as even as styles of play change, uh, up to a certain point, you could be a generational talent in the 30s and you might not get drafted now. I understand. But like anybody in the last, I don't know, 50 years or more of college football, like would that player still be considered an important player? great player today and this is one of the ways you help define that but then also it just gives us another peak of the evolution of the sport when you can talk about players who were drafted maybe number one overall and are now like 
where would that person be drafted? There are players who were like top five draft picks who, as soon as I looked at this list, I'm like, oh, you know what? That made perfect sense. Like I remember when that guy was like the number five overall pick in the draft. And today that really looks like a second round pick at best. And it, it makes a lot of sense. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by it from both levels. I think it gives us a, a way to, um, just it's an it's a more defined perspective on some of the players that we talk about as being great and a way to kind of put our money where our mouth is on that but also it's going to demonstrate the changes that have happened in this sport we are expecting this to be multiple podcasts we're not going to do all 32 picks on this episode we think maybe we'll do 16 on this episode 16 on the next if we go real long it might be three episodes it might be 10 10 and 12 steven we are going to try to acknowledge history the best that we can, while also acknowledging we did not spend a week diving into the archives on this. But there's also an evolution of the game that's going to factor into this that just applies to the guys going backward that, yes, part of it is, it is our lack of knowledge, but part of it is, like, it's just hard to take a halfback from the 50s and try to evaluate that today because so much has changed especially when you start baking in positional value like you might have been the best running back of your era but are you really going to take a running back with your first three picks same thing kind of goes for safety same thing kind of goes for linebacker these positions that you know in the 50s 60s 70s 80s even you know 90s were the 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 cream of the crop positions well that's turned into quarterback left tackle, edge rusher, and cornerback very quickly here. And so it's like some of this might just be simply getting the best value for a pick, especially with some of these guys who were – like a lot of the legends in Ohio State history aren't necessarily playing positions now where there's habitually being guys taking the top 15 of an NFL draft, unfortunately. We are also acknowledging how much the draft itself has changed. You go back to the archives and it's like there's a story. I've, I've been back in the Columbus Dispatch archives. If you get a – library card to the Columbus library, which you can do no matter where you live, you get free access to the Columbus dispatch archive. And that's no slight to the plain dealers. Just like in 1950, who's writing more about the Ohio state Buckeyes, the Cleveland plain dealer, the Columbus dispatch. So I'm going through the Columbus dispatch archives and there's stuff like you're looking, it's like, Hey, what happened in the 1957 NFL draft? And you go in the archives and it's like the day of the draft there's a story about, hey, there's a horse running at the track. And, and hey, there's a boxing match. And, oh, there's a draft. And a guy got picked. And it's like, there's no, it's trying to find, there's no coverage. And now we think about what the NFL draft coverage is, trying to find out even the context of this guy was picked at this spot. What did the league think of him going into the draft? Was it a reach? Was it a value? Did they think it was a good draft, a weak draft, whatever? It's much harder to get in the old context. I did go through the first draft pick, Jim McDonald, the number two overall pick in 1938. Again, back in the old days, by the way, everybody was a quarter quarterback slash halfback slash fullback slash you don't even know what a guy is. And now you're trying to evaluate that by position. These are the 90 guys who have been drafted in Ohio state history in the first round quarterbacks, only five running backs, 15 receivers, 10, Joey Galloway in 1995 was the first. And by the way, Paul Warfield was a running back at Ohio State and got moved to receiver in the NFL and became a Hall of Famer, a pro football Hall of Famer. 
Joey Galloway was like the first true receiver drafted in the first round in 1995. There were 12 running backs who were taken in the first round before an Ohio State receiver was ever taken in the first round. And by the way, back in the day, guys were ends. And it's like, oh, he's a defensive end, but he also caught four passes that year. It's like, it's impossible to decide what guys are. Since then, since Joey Galloway, there have been 10 first round receivers and only three first round running backs for Ohio State. But yet overall, it's 15 running backs, 10 receivers. So Nathan, we're talking that you can see the evolution of the sport of football through the evolution of Ohio State football, Nathan. It's a good lens. Yeah, it's it's but it's also still an interesting exercise to me because there's going to be guys who were at certain positions right as the league was kind of starting to fold one way or the other. <clears throat> so which side of that are we going to put? some of these players on were these players still being accurately judged based on the more a more modern way of thinking or was it a a more uh, antiquated way of thinking or kind of now a a way of thinking that's that's passed in the nfl i'm I'm curious where we're going to put a couple of guys if we're even going to put them in the top 32 yeah only two tight ends Drafted in the first round, and one of those tight ends, Doug France, was a tight end at Ohio State and was drafted, and the Rams took him and were like, you're a tackle, because he basically was a tackle at Ohio State. Ricky Dudley, the only real, like, true first-round tight end in Ohio State history. Note to uh, Jelani Thurman. Uh, not that, like, he shouldn't have come to Ohio State, but something for Jelani Thurman to shoot for. Offensive tackles, 13. That's, like, the most consistent position, I think, in Ohio State history, because it's like, oh, who's this guy in the 50s getting drafted? It's like, oh, he's a prototypical tackle for the time. It's like, oh, who's the guy who just got drafted now? Paris Johnson. Oh, he's a prototypical tackle for the time. That's maybe the most consistent position, even though there kind of was a gap. Since Orlando Pace, the only first two first-round tackles. Since Pace in 97, two first-round tackles. Taylor Decker in 2016, Paris Johnson this year. So that's not a ton. Interior, off- uh, interior offensive linemen, four. Defensive ends, 10. Interior defensive linemen, two. Linebackers, nine. Cornerbacks, 15. Another good group driven by the modern era, obviously. Safety's five. Three pro football Hall of Famers who were drafted in the first round out of Ohio State. Jim Parker, Paul Warfield, Orlando Pace. A bunch of guys who were first team All-Americans. By draft position, okay, we're going to do We're going to wind up, Stephen, drafting 32 guys total. There have been, and let me get the right number here. I believe 36 guys overall. No, 38. There have been 38 guys overall taken in the top 10. So we could just do this of guys who were top 10 picks. There have been 19 Buckeyes, Stephen, who were top five NFL draft picks. So we might get through this initial episode, and we haven't talked about anybody who didn't go in the top five of their own draft. However, I don't think we have to be limited to that. I don't, like Steven, as we evaluate this, if there's a guy, we're trying to acknowledge what the NFL thought, but if there's like a really deep draft and a bunch of quarterbacks went early versus maybe a shallow draft and a guy was a reach, like I I think it's okay for us to take a guy who went 12th in his own draft ahead of a guy who went 5th in his own draft if we feel like there's some real reasoning behind the evaluation of him as an NFL pick. But again, we're just talking about a bunch of guys who are actually in the top five or top 10. I think there's going to be some top five, top 10 guys who don't get drafted because of that reason. You always have to bake in the idea of why that person went so high, you know, the the positional value that year, how many people 
how many good players at that position were there that year? Did somebody reach? Did a guy maybe drop a little bit? So like you think of a guy like Gary on Conley, who was a first round draft pick or somebody like, you know, Damon Arnett, the context of why they went as high as they did in comparison to some other people who have clearly had better careers than they have had for different reasons, obviously one on the field, one off the field, but they maybe went 27th while this person with 17th or this person with 10th. And Nathan, we aren't going to apologize for this because we had to put some kind this in some kind of box, but we're not drafting Chris Spielman because he was a second round pick. We're not drafting Michael Thomas because he was a second round pick. We're not drafting James Laurinaitis because he was a second round pick. If we were doing this as Michigan, we would not be drafting Tom Brady because he was a sixth round pick. We're trying, we're trying to hit a window that is very difficult to hit. It's not how good they were in college, and it's not how good they were in the NFL. It's how they were perceived by the NFL coming out of college which isn't the exact same thing as being first-team All-Big Ten, first-team All-American, and it's not the exact same thing as being a multiple-time All-Pro once you get to the league, right? So in, we, if we just opened it up to everybody with no parameters, and then it would be like, oh, no, well, I, you know, I want to draft Terry McLaurin. It was in the third round. It's like, man, like, wh- how would we ever do that? So what we're trying – and we're getting the jump, frankly. Ohio State has the most first-round picks ever. They're going to get to 100 in – Two or three years, right? They have 10 left to get there. We're creating something that we think should live when it's like, oh, I said it's 100 first round picks. What a great thing. We're getting a little bit of a jump on it, which is what we're doing. But that's what we're trying to acknowledge, Nathan. The the cream of the crop of that first round group. So if you're waiting for Spielman, you're not going to hear his name, but don't blame us, blame the NFL that didn't make him a first round pick back in the day. But honestly, still, I think this makes it a more interesting list to have maybe a more limited because that's what's going to take us on this journey through college football in a more interesting way. Because I think if you do open it up to now including guys who are second, third, like just everybody who is an all pro or whatever, I don't know. That seems a little bit more simple. It's not as much. um, What do I want to say? Analysis on our part, even necessarily, because it's like, oh, this guy who was like a three time pro bowl that got drafted in the fourth round. Well, obviously you take him like it's I think this is a more interesting exercise. I think we're gonna have some fun arguments here. We also have to acknowledge that how they performed in the NFL is going to seep into this. Sure. You can't avoid it. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying. There are guys where I really your instinct is like mostly it's with guys who maybe didn't perform up to expectations in the NFL. And you're trying to think, oh, well, I don't want to take that guy that high. Then you think, wait, 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 wait. What did they think when the guy was coming out of college? What did the league really think that he was going to be? And by the way, we will reach some point where we go. This is probably where Marv would go. So sorry to Marv that we didn't wait till he actually got to the league. But Marvin Harrison Jr., I, I have a feeling would, if you redo this when they get to 100, might wind up pretty high. All right, let's do this. I'm going to pick first, Nathan second, Stephen third. No snake draft, so we'll go through in that order. We're not trying to win. You're not trying to sneak in a pick to to mess up the other guy. You're not trying to think, oh, I really want this guy, so I'm going to take him six spots earlier than he should have gone. We want it to be a list. I don't know that anyone's ever done this before, but we if someone says, hey, who are the best? Who are the best NFL draft prospects in Ohio State history? We want you to be able to reference this list and feel like it's some kind of guide. It's not going to be perfect, but it should be some kind of guide. And with that, we will start the clock. 
on the Ultimate Ohio State Draft, brought to you by Buckeye Talk. And man, if we had a sponsor, oh, we'd be getting such value out of this. Brought to you by Buckeye Talk and your product, which everybody loves and you should buy. Uh, maybe we can go back and plug that in here. All right, I'm going to pick first. With the first pick in the Ultimate Ohio State Draft, Doug Maurice selects Orlando Pace, left tackle, Ohio State. I think this is indisputable. I did not spend much time on this. And I think, Stephen, you could argue that Orlando Pace has, from high school to the end of his NFL career, as perfect of a football career as anybody has ever had. He's a high school All-American. He starts his first game as a true freshman at Ohio State. He is a dominant, award-winning offensive lineman for three years. He is the overall number one pick. He is one of three Ohio State Buckeyes to have been the actual number one pick in an NFL draft. And then he goes on to a career that puts him in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And so, and he plays a premium position. He's not a quarterback, but he plays an absolute premium position, Stephen I did not hesitate on Orlando Pace. What do you think of this pick? I think the draft just started because that was pretty obvious at this point. I mean, as he's a five-star dude who was a starter from day one. And we've seen other five-star dudes follow the five-star path. But, like, that path meant sitting down as a freshman. And it meant taking a step as a sophomore. And then finally being everything that was supposed to be as a junior and then getting out of here. He was just – he was him from the moment he stepped on campus and it was him for three years. And then was him for a decade plus when he got to the Rams. So yeah, this is probably the most no brainer pick. Um, I don't, I don't understand anybody who would try to make a case for why he's not number one. The actual overall number one pick in 1997, Nathan, I almost think if you did this exercise and just said, let's have the ultimate NFL draft in the history of the league. I'm not saying Orlando Pace would be the number one pick in that, but I think he would be high. And I think he would have a chance to go as the first non-quarterback in any draft of any NFL draft ever. And like, you know, we could talk about Lawrence Taylor or we could yeah. talk about, you know, other premium position guys, but, Thomas. but that's how good he was. Nathan, would he have been your number one pick here? No question. I think there's one player on this list, and man, it's a, obviously a great list, but there's one player on this list who the consensus of football thought would say is the greatest to ever do what they do. The best at this position. He is the he is the uh, Babe Ruth, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, not of all football, but of, of being a left tackle, right? Like, I, I think that if you were to poll people who pay attention to college football and the NFL, people who take it seriously, Orlando Pace is going to win that vote. And that, and, and it happens to come at a position where in the modern NFL, you would see someone saying, not only is this already a premium position, this guy might just be a, the standard crusher. Like the guy that everyone else is going to be compared to, and it's going to be futility because no one's ever going to do this again. And uh, when you add all that together, I thought there was no question who number one was. Okay. I, I would be very curious from our texters to hear it, any disagreement on this, but um, I, I think this was obvious. And so we now go to Nathan Baird with pick number two. And Stephen, as you said, I do think the draft starts here. Nathan, what you got? 
Yeah, and I, I may just take it completely off the rails. I think this is where we could have an interesting argument because there's, you know, as we've said many times in many discussions, there's basically three things that are at the top of the football shopping list. It's the quarterback, it's the guy that protects the quarterback, and it's the guy that comes after the quarterback. And uh, we just took the guy who protects the quarterback. I think the quarterbacks will go fairly high here because of what has happened in recent Ohio State history. But the highest peak of recent Ohio State history is just the line of edge rushers. And now it's just a matter of if you're picking at number two here, would you go with, I mean, there's any number of guys you could go with. I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of which one had the highest peak at the time he was being drafted. So I am going with the second pick of the all-time Ohio State NFL draft, the Nathan Bairds, the Bearded Beasts, select Chase Young, defensive end. What do you think, Steven? I don't hate it, um, but I do think there's enough options here that there's a couple of guys you could have taken with that number two pick, and two of them went number two, and he's one of them because it's like – it's like, I, I understand the reason I think you go with Chase Young here. Well, at least the, the reason I was, I would come up with if I was a true Chase Young here is compared to the other guys, Ohio State got the full version and full ex- Chase Young experience in a way that you didn't feel like you got with the other two because of circumstance. With the other two, whether it's injury or just teams deciding we don't want that man to kill us anymore. We didn't get the full experience while with Chase, as I was mentioning with Orlando Face, Chase had the normal five star. It's as a freshman, you don't really do anything because they didn't really need him. As a sophomore, 10 and a half sacks with messed up ankles. And then you're a Heisman Trophy finalist in year three, and you're the num- you're the best non-quarterback and maybe just the best overall prospect in your draft. And unfortunately, his NFL career hasn't gone that way since his rookie year because of injuries and whatnot. But at least it started off in a way where you were like, okay, he's going to continue what he was doing at the college level. I think this is the right pick. I was looking at the ESPN draft ratings, just trying to find context. T- context. ESPN has numerical draft grades like up to a hundred that they assign to draft prospects every year. They started doing it in 04, but I feel like early on they were giving out too high of numbers. It feels like they really hit their stride around 07 or 08. Just in comparison of the, the, like from 07 on like that range, Chase Young has the highest draft grade of any Ohio state player. He's tied with Nick Bosa, but Nick Bosa had a season-ending injury that Chase Young didn't. And when I was going back, Nathan, and reading the draft people, I read Daniel Jeremiah. I think he's the best draft guy. I read his draft evaluation of Chase Young. We know that Chase Young went actually second in the 2020 NFL draft behind Joe Burrow. But Daniel Jeremiah had Chase Young graded as his number one player in that draft. And there was not a but. In his in his breakdown, Nathan, there was he did he had six sentences. None of them were negative. There's nothing. I don't think there was anything to quibble with. Now the hard part is Chase Young didn't even have his fifth year option picked up, right, by the Commanders, which is hard to wrap your head around. But that's not what we're doing, Nathan. You had to really fight through the results and go back to the anticipation. And I think you made the right call here. It's it's tough because. The other guys that you would consider right here, 
uh, who are the same position as him, do the same things. You already mentioned one of them, and then there's the other Bosa brother. Um, and there's some other guys that you could mix. But it, it, comparing those three guys, Chase Young has clearly not done what those two guys have done. It started off good as a rookie. Like, the spark was there as a rookie. It looked like it was going to be a thing. And then the injuries hit, and it's just never come back for him. And he's still got time, obviously. But it, it has not built the momentum the way those other two guys did. But I think if you're picking at if you're going back and freezing that moment in time and, and, and this is where Doug, you're going to have a better perspective than, than either Steven or I, because obviously I started this beat for young's third year. Steven got to see him as a second year guy. Um, as, as Bosa was on the way out as Nick Bosa was on the, or on the way out. But it just, in my mind, all three of those guys were considered great, but young was the one that when you watched him, you're like, Oh, like, that's not fair. And the other guys too. But like there was just the highest peak of that seemed like it was Chase Young. Chase was the guy the first minute he showed up as a true freshman. You were like, is that a fourth year mm-hmm. NFL that, defensive end? Is that a person? And that's not the only thing it's about. That's yeah, the next, he, he, like, but, I think there's man. a I think there was like an interview session you guys did in the spring where he, he was telling you guys about how like he was sad because he hadn't had his growth spurt yet when he was like a five foot ten sixth grader and at some point he was just like i don't believe in the eye test and i think ari went chase you are the eye test and it's like that's yeah dude like you you're what people draw up in lab when i get on madden and create a defensive end i'm creating chase young i'm also still waiting for and this is one of those where (laughs) hang on man it'll come Maybe we can have Chase Young zoom in and give Nathan some words of motivation. This was like the big thing that like it snapped my head around when Chase Young had been at like one Ohio State practice and Jalen Holmes said he's going to be the first pick in the draft one day. And I was Mm -hmm. like, wait, what? What did you just say about a freshman who's been here for a week? And he was like, yeah, did you have you seen him? And he was on it like Jalen Holmes, who was as smart and tough and as observant a Buckeye as I've ever been around, was like, what are, are you? Yeah, of course. After a week, and he was right. He wasn't. It would have been. It's just quarterbacks. That's all. He was right, Nathan. So this this is the pace, right? He's Orlando pace on the defensive side all the way up through the draft, which is where we're evaluating him. And then it hasn't gone in the NFL like it did for Orlando pace, Nathan. But I think it's pretty much in lockstep with that kind of ceiling at the point that we are trying to evaluate Chase Young here. By the way, I don't think we talked about this maybe on the Buckeye fly effect. Cause I, we did one on um, Haskins and Burrow, right? I think. Yes, we did. Yes. But if Burrow stays at Ohio state and has Haskins 2018 season comes out into that draft, Chase Young might've been the first pick overall in 2019. Yeah. Right. In Ohio state might've had number one and number two. Yeah, like, maybe. Yeah. Nick, like Nick went number two despite not playing that year. Yeah, depending on if there was another quarterback that people yeah. wanted to overdraft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, in the in the history of this, uh, Ohio State, you know, Chase Young is the number two pick in the 2020 draft. There have been three players taken number one out of Ohio State. There have been four players taken number two. So he is one of the seven highest actual draft picks in Ohio State history. And he goes off the board at number two here. In our ultimate Ohio State draft, I think it's the right pick. Well done by Nathan Baird, which brings us, Stephen Means, to pick number three. I actually like that I'm third, especially for this first first round of first round draft picks. I like this. I get to do the thing that somebody in the top five always does, whether they trade up or they're just already in that spot, and that's reach for the quarterback. So 
with that being said, with the third pick in the 2023 Buckeye Talk first round NFL draft pick, the Mighty Means select Justin Fields, the Ohio State University. And I understand there's a reach there, but there's nothing more valuable at the draft time than quarterback. And he is, whether he's the best or not, we did a, 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 a buck more on him. He's the most talented quarterback we've had. They've had here. It's not how the NFL viewed him though. He was the fifth or the fourth quarterback taken in his own draft. Hmm? But with Justin, I didn't Fields, have Justin Fields in my top 16. Did you have a quarterback? I'm trying to think how the NFL I'm trying to think how the NFL evaluated Justin Fields. And if we had coming out of college Justin Fields versus all these other guys, he went behind Trey Lance. He went behind Zach Wilson, but and he's going to yeah. go ahead of the Bosa's. But I think in that's in draft. I think that's in relation to like what you I think that comes into the, the relation of your draft. Cause we do that with quarterbacks all the time of like, would this quarterback be the number one pick in this draft if he was draft eligible right now? Or what if these, this crop of quarterbacks was coming out right now? Would they be number one or number two? And the question, like, let's just take this 2023 draft to be, would Justin Fields be the number one, the clear cut number one pick in this 2023 draft over Bryce Young? No. Uh, I think what do we feel the the NFL had questions about Justin Fields. Now the question is like should they have like were they were they reasonable the questions that they had about Justin Fields. And quarterback is the most valuable position. I do feel like there are multiple other guys who sort of didn't have questions about them or as many questions at premium positions. Nathan, what do you think about Justin Fields here? Like, we we can talk this out. He he is. I do think this is COVID, right? And there's a little bit of like not getting the opportunity to go go crazy at the combine. Mm-hmm. Probably affected Justin Fields' draft status. But Nathan, just like what? How do how do you try to think in your head, Nathan, about what the NFL clearly did think about Justin Fields when he came out of Ohio State, and what they should have thought. And and if maybe the thing that was holding them back in a non-COVID year, looking at Justin Fields, the exact same prospect, is it possible that they would see him in a in a somewhat substantially different way? I mean, I know there was no combine, but he came to pro day and ran a smoking number. I mean, it like probably I think it was about half of what um, Zach Harrison said that I would run in the forty. So I'm mean, pretty fast, and I just think that I agree with you that the passing questions were already there and that has sort of been borne out in the NFL a little bit. Like he's a very dynamic player overall. He isn't there as a passer yet. So I, I still think that um, I didn't have him as low as you, but I had him, I think I had him 10th. So you, so Steven, you are saying in your mind, you think Justin Fields is the third best draft prospect in Ohio state history. Yeah, when you make in the positional value and all those things, yes. Okay. I think it's worth I think it's you, worth do you think but just real quick, I, I do think it is worth if we're trying to put ourselves in the mindset of NFL GMs, people do overdraft quarterback. So I can see even if you don't think mm-hmm. he's the they third did. best overall, I could see leaning because I think I'm doing that a little bit with some of the guys that I've got coming up that 
I don't know that this guy is is better than a guy below him, but I know the NFL values him more at the top of a draft yeah. than the guy below him. But that being said, I think I he would I don't think he, Fields would be the first quarterback off the board for me. So here here's the way I, I think I think of the Ohio. I don't think Ohio State yet has had a no doubt about it checks every box quarterback draft prospect. I don't think they've had a guy like we just said, Daniel Jeremiah's evaluation of Chase Young didn't have a negative. I don't think Ohio State's had a quarterback like that yet. My first quarterback I had at nine, and I felt like the eight guys ahead of him played in really valuable positions where I think as they came out, they would have been viewed by the league as having almost no faults. And so because I don't think Ohio State, I I just don't think they've had quite, you know, like like a Trevor Lawrence type yet or a, um, you know, a Cam Newton or like a guy who's just like, well, that's like, oh, that guy. Andrew Luck. And for that Newton reason, I, al- I allowed, I allowed the, um, even though it's quarterback, I allowed the slam dunkness of some of the other guys to push them up my board ahead of any quarterback and maybe Ohio State will have that guy someday but I am in trying to reflect what happened the idea that he was the 11th pick it required a team to trade up to get him and Trevor Lawrence Zach Wilson and Trey Lance went ahead of him did factor into my evaluation Nathan are you or Steven are you just thinking sort of like they were wrong like I don't know, like what to tell you, NFL. Like you were, you were wrong. He I should have been the that. second quarterback that year behind a yeah. guy who's like an awesome prospect. I do think. I mean, that's like fifteen percent of it because it was like he was that. He was the second. He was viewed consistently as the second quarterback in this draft until games stopped being played, and then we spent three months where that, for some reason, that was no longer the case. So that's got to be fifteen percent of it, especially since you know. Two of the guys, the two guys who were taken ahead of him that weren't maybe, maybe we weren't expecting to be taken ahead of him back in December of that year, haven't really panned out. One because of injury, but the other one just because of like his actual play on the field. So that's some of this as well. But I, but I understand where you're coming from. I think if I had the first pick, I think I would have more of that idea of like just take the no doubt, no brainer guys at non quarterback positions. But three and on, I think is where you can get into the you can reach a little bit more. Um, and just try Like, I, I think of him, I view him the way that maybe like, you know, Anthony Richardson was viewed in this draft where he's like the third pick, the fourth pick in this draft, which he's not, he's not the first quarterback taken, but there's no first quarterback to be taken in this draft, but he's not the first player e- either. There's like a non quarterback who get, went between him and where he went in this draft. And so that's where I view him in that range is where there's two no brainer no doubt when they were coming out, it's like those guys are going to be Hall of Famers as long as injuries don't get in the way. And I think those two guys went number one, number one and number two. And then after that, you've got to start baking in some positional value here. And that's why I ended up with Justin Fields being third instead of maybe waiting until the third round of this draft to take him. I don't think it's revisionist history to say Fields was better. When we come back, I good. We've talked about that before. And I think we were saying it at the time, and it wasn't just Ohio State beat that was saying that. I think there are people – I have 49ers fan friend of mine was distressed mm-hmm. that day that they were taking Trey Lance over him. And I, I had a lot of Bears fans who were excited that Fields fell that far. So it's not completely revisionist history to say he wasn't just the fourth-best quarterback in that draft. No, I think that's true. I mean, it's almost some – some of it that's a little harder to me is almost than like the non-quarterbacks that did go ahead of him yeah. that, you know – 
Mm-hmm. J.C. Horn went ahead of him as a cornerback, number eight, yeah. when the Panthers yeah. didn't have a didn't have a quarterback. And you know, they t- a, a lot of pass catchers. You know, that's a big pass catcher draft. Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith all went ahead of him. Um, when we come back, I'm going to make the fourth pick, which might be part of a strong argument for why fields at number three makes sense. We'll do that next on the ultimate Ohio state draft here on Buckeye talk. Doug Maurice back with Nathan Baird and Steven means. Okay. I'm going to take the guy that I had third on my list who went third in his actual draft behind two quarterbacks who probably aren't as talented as Justin Fields, which folds into, okay, well, like, well, how can Justin Justin Fields third here? It's like, all right, I'm taking Joey Bosa, and somebody took Jared Goff, and somebody took Carson Wentz ahead of Joey Bosa. So it's like, how could Joey Bosa go behind Justin Fields? It's like, well, how did he go behind Carson Wentz? Because, Stephen, teams like quarterbacks. So I thought you would have been picking between the Bosas here, but the actual draft choice in mm-hmm. Joey Bosa's draft backs up your line of thinking yeah this was a do i pick a bosa do i pick a quarterback and i think this is like what this probably happens in the draft where it's like there's a do i pick the awesome dude at this premier position who i know is a can't miss process project or do i pick a quarterback and start my clock with my rookie quarterback and this is my guy and sometimes who you pick might come down to whether or not you're a first year head coach there or not because the way this – let's just take the Texans for an instance. They traded up to go get Will Anderson, but with their actual pick, they picked the quarterback first. And I think that's a good way to to use this example of, like, quarterback, no matter how much a can't-miss project is, prospect is – I don't know why I keep saying project. Prospect, if there's a, if you're a brand-new brand head coach and you want to start the clock on your guy, you're probably going to lean quarterback. So Justin Fields was the actual number 11 pick in the 2021 NFL draft. Joey Bosa was the number three overall pick in the 2016 NFL draft. Nathan, I had Joey third on my list. I take him here at four. What do you think of Joey Bosa here, Nathan? Well, actually, I think maybe the we should just – I have the next pick. Why don't I just make my next pick because I think it takes us into the, the, the rest of this conversation. But with the – what it would be, fifth overall pick in the all-time Ohio State draft – the, the Nathan Bairds will take Nick Bosa. That's who I had third on my list. I But I think they were almost interchangeable. You got to um, gotta split hairs at some point, I understand. But uh, And I know that he had the injury issue coming out of that last season. But in terms of um, maybe this is where one where I was slightly influenced by what they actually have done at the next level. Not that Joey Bosa has been a slouch by any means. Um, but I had them back to back. I had Nick third. I had Joey fourth. I thought there was really no wrong way to go there. And I do think the injury is, was enough of a deciding factor for me to take Joey over Nick. It's, you know, once, so Nick hurts his, a muscle in his abdomen in the third game of the year in 2018 doesn't play the rest of the year shows up at the Rose bowl is hanging out is working out is getting ready for the combine. I do think Steven by the draft, he had answered all the questions because in real life, Nick Bosa was the number two overall pick in the 2019 draft coin flip, like everything else being equal. And I do think they're kind of slightly different players, 
but it's enough for me, Stephen, that I, you know, uh, the the no questions Joey went ahead of the, is there any lingering questions, Nick, in my mind? Joey got to have a year where all Ohio State fans got to see it. Nick never really just got to have that year because for two years he was in a rotation, and then the last year he just got hurt. So we there's that uh, that Joey already has a head already had his an advantage over Nick in. And then I think the fact that one had to use the combine to answer questions and the other one didn't matter. And I don't think this is the only position where we're going to have that situation pop up of like there's. There's probably three guys where you can't go wrong with picking any of them just based off what their talent level is and what you know they can be when they're on the football field. And when you start to find tiebreakers, it's what was their actual at Ohio State production like based off what they were able to do. But then also who had to use, I have to go to Indianapolis and prove things. I have to use pro day to prove things that aren't necessarily about my talent, but just about my physical ability to be available. Steven, did you have Joey or Nick higher on your list? I had Joey ahead because of that reason. Okay. Slightly. Though. So to get to get Nick at number five, Nathan, you must be pretty happy about this, though, because you had Nick number three overall on your list behind Pace and Chase. Yeah, so to get either Nick or Joey third or fourth overall, I I think you'd be pretty excited about here. And it, it, this, is why, this is how the draft plays out, though, right? Like somebody who doesn't need a quarterback – or doesn't like the quarterbacks that are available as much is always ecstatic when somebody jumps up and takes a quarterback because that's bumping somebody down to them. Nick's on a Hall of Fame track. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the other thing here too. He was just the defensive player of the year. He's been uh, an incredibly integral part of a team that's been successful. That was bad enough to have the number two pick and get him. And then once he got there, they were good right away. They've been good since he got here, and he is going to absolutely break the bank. Like this guy's, he is the modern NFL defensive player. And so I do sort of congratulate us on on holding back a little bit because, listen, man, when he got drafted, it was number two overall pick, but he, you know, didn't play a, a ton as a true freshman, and he was good as a sophomore, and then he got hurt early in his junior year and sat out and went pro and had to prove that his injury was gone. And so as much as he was the number two pick and people loved him, it, there was, as a prospect, there was just a little bit of a lingering thing. So I think compared to some other guys, Nathan, in the end, did you almost have Nick ahead of Chase Young? Did you consider that in any real way? Or was it to you, Nathan, like, nah, I, I, I got to take Chase ahead of Nick? No, because again, and I, there's... I'm influenced by the fact that I covered one and didn't cover the others. I, I think that's pretty obvious. But just the, the you talk about you talked about Chase Young in 2019 different. It wasn't like he was just a football player anymore, and it wasn't like he was just a great football player anymore. It really did seem unfair at times. It really seemed like this is a guy that is picking on the little kids. Um, it's the the you know this uh, the scene and you see it in movies or whatever guys going up and like you know stuffing kids on basketball courts or whatever like that's what chase young seemed like playing football at times that year and that that influenced my opinion i think the fact that we're valuing ohio state career more than what they've done since ohio state career will probably push over the top chase young joy bosa over nick bosa but i also think that nick bosa's nfl career so far can probably give you a little sprinkle of faith that chase can turn this around because we're talking about injuries at ohio state i mean nick bosa tore his acl two years ago and he's like now about to break the bank as probably the best defensive player in in the NFL right now. And so that that was early in his career. 
NFL Rookie of the Year injury, NFL Defensive Player of the Year through two years after that. So Chase can still turn this around as well. Okay, I'm, I'm curious to see where we go from here because we took a guy from the 90s in Orlando Pace and then four very recent Buckeyes. But I, I don't think it's just recency bias. I, no. I don't. I think there's a lot of NFL evaluation in the, the evolution of how good these guys are and how valuable they are in the modern NFL. So it's Orlando Pace, Chase Young, Justin Fields, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, pick number six to Steven Means. So I'm going to apply this logic at edge rusher and use it at cornerback now because I think the same exact thing applies here where there's three guys to choose from here. And I'm going to choose the guy who one was just the first defensive player taken in his draft. Whether you agree with it or not, that's how he ended up being viewed on draft day at the number four pick. But also he didn't have to use Indianapolis to prove that he deserved to be that high, even if his talent deserve, said he deserved to be that high. So I'm going to take Denzel Ward here, who has also gotten off to a pretty quality start in the NFL. Two-time Pro Bowler. Another guy not in my top 16. I have a guy that when we get to him, I think we really need to have a conversation about because we love having the conversation about the evolution at positions at Ohio State. Is this guy the top of the evolution? I definitely thought about Denzel Ward. It's hard because Denzel Ward has turned out to be worth the pick. I think he was a bit of a reach on draft day. Uh, I There was a lot of conversation sort of like, I think he's more like the eighth pick or the 10th pick. And then John Dorsey, the Browns GM, everybody thought he was going to take Bradley Chubb as an edge rusher and pair him with Miles Garrett. And he took mm-hmm. Denzel Ward. It was like, oh, man, he's a little short. Man, that is high for a corner. And then Denzel has been legit. Like Denzel is a cornerstone piece. So that's impossible to evaluate, right? It's like, oh. Felt like a reach that was successful. So so then what? You don't. But I, even though Nathan, he's a, a number four overall draft pick, I have other Ohio State corners higher than him. It's a little bit of a height conversation, but I just think like in total, total, total package of draft prospect, I don't, he's great. <laughs> like he's great. But I wouldn't have taken him this high. What do you think of Denzel here, Nathan? So similarly, as with Justin Fields, I don't have him as low as you, but I also didn't have him as high as Steven. And I do have um, at least one other defensive back ahead of him. And so this is where sometimes where your perspective, again, is going to give you some that we didn't necessarily have because you were the one evaluating him in real time. And we're looking a little bit in the past at it um, or in the future, into the past. But I think there is something to be said for maybe the consensus didn't think he was, should have been taken number four, but clearly at least one team did. And you can't completely eradicate that. I mean, you also don't know again, where guys were on teams, draft boards, even that took other people because they had a greater positional need at at times and things like that. So um, I I think Mm -hmm. this is, uh, I understand why, why Steven went here. I would have taken someone else if I was taking a corner here, but uh, I, I get it. Okay, so that is Denzel Ward at number six. And now I am going to move back in history a little bit because I now have a stretch of guys that are are not of the completely modern era. And I think it's um, appropriate to start taking some of these guys off the board. So please 
bear with us on this a little bit. We are not Jack Park. We are not Ohio State historians, but we're, we're doing the best we can here. And so with the number seven pick in the ultimate Ohio State draft, Doug LaMaurice selects offensive tackle John Hicks. And John Hicks finished second in the Heisman (laughs) as an offensive lineman. And again, I'm reading a dispatch story from when John Hicks gets drafted. They gave him like two paragraphs. It is unbelievable. The lack of coverage. He, but it, the thing that caught my eye in, in that he was the number three overall pick in the 1974 NFL draft. And the thing that just said in that story is like John Hicks. And it was something like the best lineman Ohio state's ever had. Like it just was stated as a fact, Nathan. So like up until then, it's like, here's this guy, like what this guy's done. He's was a, a three-year starter at right tackle at Ohio state. He started, then he got hurt, was out for the year. Then he started, then he started again. He's blocking for Archie. He finishes second in the Heisman as a lineman. And he is the number three overall pick. He gets picked by the Giants, And then it doesn't go great in his NFL career, actually. Like he's not a pro, pro football hall of famer for instance. So I do think that affects the conversation a little bit, but I think at the time, Nathan, John Hicks was kind of everything you wanted in an offensive lineman. And it was more of a running game than a passing game back then, but he had just been the guy clearing the way for one of the best running backs in college football history. And so I think pre, and there's another guy that's going to come up soon. I think pre-Orlando Pace, he's probably the best offensive lineman in Ohio State history, so I'm taking him here at 7, Nathan. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I had him in my top 10. I had him number 8, so same ballpark. And I was kind of thinking of him along the lines of someone like, um, I know it's not exactly the same positionally, but like a Quentin Nelson, like someone who's just like, is going to be a great football player for you. Maybe is the best pound for pound football player in any given draft, not more than Orlando pace, but in in any given draft, you could make that argument about, and that even if you don't think he's going to end up at tackle long-term, that he's going to be such a dynamic player that using a pick on him in the top 10 makes sense. Uh, He's there are ways that Nelson is kind of a throwback to in, in, in an earlier wave of playing football. And when I, and I didn't obviously never covered um, John Hicks, but just from limited, I was able to, to learn about him. It seemed along those same lines that this guy was just uh transcended position a little bit. I did get to know John a little bit uh, at the end of his life. Um, He's from Cleveland. He passed away uh, several years ago at age 65 came back and was like an important guy in Columbus was an important guy in the Ohio state, you know, community and uh, just like a really good guy. And, and Steven, again, it just remains remarkable and it, it's clearly a different era, but the idea that you're a lineman who finishes second in the Heisman balloting is, is something. So you add it together. It's like, well, he was two in the Heisman and then he was three in the draft. It, it There's an acknowledgement that nobody does what he does better than him. And I and I that's why I think I had him fifth on my list, but I, I I do think he needed to come off here in the top ten somewhere. Steven, did you have him on your list? I did. He's in my top ten, and the reason why is he's a tackle, and he's like six foot two, uh, two hundred and fifty eight pounds or something like that. And he so that's 
I don't know if there's an era where that's not considered undersized for a tackle. So it's like modernize him and you just think of what you can do with him. Maybe you don't put him at tackle or put him on the offensive line in this day and age. But I'm thinking if I'm like the 49ers who religiously uses a fullback, I think he would be an elite level fullback in the right NFL system in today's game at that size. Wait, what? We're taking John Hicks at number seven on the offensive line and you're making him into a fullback? For the, 49, for the 49ers, you see what Juice does? Okay. You're making him into that Jurisic guy? It's like, oh, let's take John Hicks in the top 10 and make yeah. him into a, I'm cutting that part out. I'm cutting out the part where yeah. you just turned the lineman who finished second in the Heisman balloting into a modern-day Into a very valuable piece of the 49ers the offense. <laughs> okay, now you're just off the rails. You're, this is affecting how I view the rest of your picks. When you say things like this, I'm making John Hicks a fullback. That goes on your resume. Um, there's another lineman that is going to be like, as part of this conversation that we have to get to at some point. And I'll be curious where he winds up going off the board. Again, you reach into the past. And I think when you reach into the past, Nathan, you're looking for the guys who were like, right. Like indisputable, the guys who were just viewed differently than their peers, because everybody is like, I don't know. He was just like a kind of a halfback in the fifties. Like, and then he became an insurance agent. Where do you draft that guy? But I do think Ohio state has a couple of these guys where you can grab them and pull them into the modern era and say, okay, there's something to this. Um, we now will move to the eighth pick to you. And I'm, I'm curious to see when the past starts popping up again. No, but I, I, I love reading about guys from like the fifties and sixties. Because occasionally get one, but be like, he was a two time first team, all American. He was drafted in the third round by the Chicago Cardinals. And, but in, he didn't even go to training camp and he just went home and <laughs> became a, you know, started a convenience store, or whatever, like the guys who just like, like NFL, like what? I don't have time for that. Um, here's another reach into the past, not as far into the past, but I think it's going to bring up an interesting discussion about, how someone was perceived at the time and how they would be perceived today relative to what the NFL prioritizes. Uh, So with the eighth pick of the all-time NFL draft, all-time Ohio State draft, the Nathan Bairds, the melon-headed misfits, will take Dan Wilkinson defensive tackle. And Dan Wilkinson is regarded as a, I don't know if you would say a bust, but an underwhelming pick as the number one overall pick in the draft. But he had a 13-year NFL career, was actually a pretty good player, just wasn't an, an, an elite of the elite player. And I would hesitate to take a defensive tackle initially, and actually I had him lower on my list initially. But when you research it, number one, at the time, he and a small group of guys at the top of that draft were talked about as like this incredible quartet of like can't miss amazing players at the top of the draft, which is why he went number one overall. But number two... Even in an era where defensive tackles have started to be less coveted, I guess, by NFL teams as far as like high draft picks, it's not uncommon that you'll get one in the top 10, one in the top 12, something like that. And just Wilkinson's, uh, what do I want to say, like his esteem at the time, the way he was analyzed at the time, I think is worthy of a pick here. I was reading a draft story previewing this. He's the number one overall pick in 1994, written by the esteemed Tim May. That's always one of those was like, I went back in the archives and it was, uh, oh, so it was like, oh, the guy we know wrote it. And it referred to Dan Wilkinson as the best defensive tackle prospect in the last decade. So again, like that's Steven, this is, he's only one of two interior defensive linemen in Ohio State history to be drafted in the first round. It's unusual. But if you think of what 
a guy like Aaron Donald has been in the NFL. This is what they thought Big Daddy was going to be when they took him overall. The Bengals took him overall number one, Stephen. It's a little bit of an unusual positional fit, but they thought this guy was a unicorn at his position. And I think there's some some modern day relevance to this because while it's not as valued the same way as the edge rusher is on the draft, we've seen in recent years the defensive tackles start being top ten picks here. So it's it, it does, and yeah. I think some I think some of that is because of what Aaron Donald has done. Everybody's looking for a dude who can be at least fifty to sixty percent of what he is on the interior. But when you've got a guy who can potentially be generational talent on the interior, we've seen guys take them in the top ten. So I think Big Daddy fits in perfectly here. Right range too for him to go. Nathan, you took him eighth. He was eighth on my list. So this this feels right in the correct range. And again, he's one of three overall number one picks in Ohio State history. And one of the three, Orlando Pace, was our first overall pick. So I think Big Daddy, that doesn't mean, oh, he should have been the second pick. But I, I, I think top 10 is the right the right spot for what he was at the time. All right, that moves pick number nine to Stephen Means. I'm going to go back in history, too, a little bit. Um, not as far. In fact, we've already t- taken a guy from this, this era. So I'm going to go with it again here. Pace was obviously going to be the number one pick in that draft. I mean, generational talent with all he was. And then we saw a run of his other guys at other positions go in that draft. The second tackle off the board that year was Corey Stringer. And I think that I view him as the Emeka Abuka to Orlando Pace's Marvin Harrison Jr., where there are times where it's like, dude, this guy's really, really good. And it gets overshadowed because he's playing with a generational level guy. And so I'm with the, with the, with my third round pick here, the mighty means is they're going to take Corey Stringer off, offensive tackle. Okay. This is the, the 1990, what year draft? 97 draft, right? Yes. Yes. And he, uh, no. Five, five, 95, excuse me. It's 95 draft. Okay, the 1995 draft. So it's not the same year as Pace. Um, Pace is in 97. Okay, yeah, never mind. I read that wrong. Excuse me. So he is in the 1995 draft. He's the 24th overall pick in 1995. Because when you said it's a guy from Pace's draft, I started writing. Yeah, sorry. So he's the second. Yeah, I had two different things up. He's still the second tackle, but the guy taken before him is Tony Baselli out of USC. He was taking the second pick. Okay, so Corey Stringer is the number 24 overall pick. This is, again, this is a position where Ohio State has had a lot of guys drafted as offensive tackles. Um, I didn't have Stringer in my top 16. So, like, it's hard because, and again, the late, great Corey Stringer tragically uh, cut short at age 27 after having a a heat incident at training camp and an unbelievable tragedy, unbelievable tragedy. And and I think Ohio state fans know that, but he is, I think physically, right. This guy's, this dude's a little different. I think he is honestly a little bit of like, like the maximum, maximum perfect world of like what Dewan Jones would want to be. It's like, you're mm-hmm. just like, he's like a, a physical specimen, but then it all comes together in a way that it hasn't for Dewan, at, at least as a draft prospect, it didn't Nathan. Um, Corey Stringer is a rare dude. He is a rare dude, but he didn't get picked into the 20s in his own draft, and he's going ninth here. Did you have Corey Stringer on your list, uh, Nathan? I didn't. I had other tackles ahead of him, but I certainly remember Corey Stringer. And um, from someone who wasn't really in the Ohio State sphere at all at that stage, you're talking about 
late 90s um was it early 2000s when he passed away did he i can't remember how long he actually played in the nfl but it was right around 2001 that, yeah right around that yeah. turn like i i remember that incident and um and how much of a loss that was in in so many ways and um it's it, it it's this this is where it's a pick that i think speaks to the depth that ohio state actually did once produce at this critical position and again shines a light on what's maybe going on in that program right now and where it needs to get back towards. It is a premium position. Um, again, there's, it's, it's hard. He's one of the more, let, let me ask this. Why Corey Stringer, who was 24th ahead of Paris Johnson, who was sixth in his own draft. I think as good as Paris was. And I think, I think Paris was when you really look back on it, the clear cut only, guy where you're 100% sure he's going to be a tackle in the NFL. Cause the guy that he, the guy he's been compared to the entire time, we're not even sure if he's going to be a tackle yet full time while Stringer was in a draft with other guys who were clearly like pure tackles. And I think that played a role into it while Paris is good. And he's lived up to everything Would Paris be viewed the same way. If there were more pure left tackles in his class. I don't, I don't, by that but you have not that's not how we paris we said paris is the next orlando pace now you're like oh well let me, talented, here's man. the thing there, there's a lot of guys there's a lot of tackles who were drafted higher in their own draft than 24th like there's a there's other tackles who mm-hmm. went in the top five so again we're not pretending to be experts on those guys um you know stringer's 24th chris ward went fourth in his draft and kurt shoemaker went 12th in his draft so on the list of tackles um he was an extraordinary nfl player and he was a consensus all-american and he made a pro bowl the year before he passed which again is just like the unbelievable and again it's like we're trying not to let the nfl actual accomplishments factor in nathan he might have been on track he might have been on track to have like a hall of fame career potentially that if he maxes maxes out now he he wasn't a pro bowler every year in the nfl but I think like he was even getting better. He was really important uh, to what the Vikings were doing. And then right at age 27, which is, I think everybody at age 27 for any pro athlete is kind of like, this is where you become who you are. Mm-hmm. He was, he's, his life is taken. Like it's unbelievably tragic. And we still, we never got to see what fully, fully, fully Corey Stringer would have been. Yeah. Like I said, I just, I just remember that. And it's it sparking a big conversation at the time because tragically, you know, every year people, football players lose their lives from the the high school level on up. And we have a better awareness of that. Now I can remember playing terribly, terribly playing high school football in the early nineties. And the coaches still kind of talking about, you know, water and stuff as as something you had to earn. And obviously a very like caveman way of thinking about uh, anything. And because of terrible incidents like this, partially raised awareness and we have a better understanding of those things. It's just unfortunate that we had to lose someone like Corey Stringer to get there. I think one more thing, just with the Paris comparison, I think just the multiple years at tackle as well. Two time big 10 offensive lineman of the year, co-freshman of the year. While I mean, like once again, this is not always things that are in your control, but Paris got one year at tackle and one year at guard. And then one year we didn't get to see him much because of COVID. Okay. So that's Corey Stringer ninth. And that will bring me to 10th and to the guy that I thought Steven was talking about taking. So with the number 10 pick in the ultimate Ohio State draft, Doug Lee Maurice will select Sean Springs, cornerback, who was in the same draft as Orlando Pace. 
Mm-hmm. He's the number three overall pick in 1997. And this is the guy that I wanted to have a conversation about when Denzel Ward was picked. We've talked about the evolution at all positions. I'm not so sure at Ohio State that the evolution didn't end here. And we've kind of been trying to get back to Sean Springs because he's six foot. He's 200 pounds. He reportedly ran a 4-2-4, which is probably not true, but he is fast as all get out. He returns. He's a return guy. Like, he's big and physical and electric, absolutely electric, and as good as every other corner in the modern era has been at Ohio State. I don't know that you would look at any of them and say, like, oh, like, they're definitely better than Sean Springs. and so. He was, in 1997, he was, and it depends how you rate guys. And I have, like, another guy that we have to get to. I actually forgot to put this guy on my list when I'm rating. What's a corner? What's a safety? I don't know. By the definition I tried to use, in 1997, he was only the third first-round cornerback in Ohio State history. And there have been 12 more since then. But, Nathan, I think you could argue there hasn't been any better since Sean Springs. So I had him sixth on my list, and I'll take him here at 10. Yeah, so he was not the first defensive back on my list, but we're in the same range. I had him in my top 16, and I have a a great appreciation for Sean Springs. I remember him being a guy um, from an era where I was like, you know, sort of watching football. I was aware of it and aware of Ohio State and a guy who whose stardom I kind of carried with me to this job. In fact, it wasn't until I got here that I started, you know, I didn't know the whole Sean Springs slipped side of things really until you get here, until you hear that that's one of those things that as great as a guy is, sometimes that attaches to your legacy. And that's a big part of what Ohio state fans remember, but it wouldn't come into play here. Um, I trust your judgment on this, even though I had someone higher and I think the person I have is defensible. And we'll talk about that when he comes up, I think probably pretty soon. But because uh, it's, it, it's a similar argument to the one that you are making. And uh, but but Springs, I remember at the time being considered a just so legitimate and so such an all around uh, capable talent in so many ways that any NFL team would want to add. He's wearing those big shoulder pads in the 90s, right? It's kind of you. Yeah. It kind of looks weird back then, but. He's the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year in 1996. He's a consensus All-American. He was two-time first-team All-Big Ten. He he then he does tr- go to like a very good NFL career in Seattle. Not like a Hall of Fame career, but like a very good career. But I was trying to watch some highlights, Stephen. It's like, oh, you watch Son Spring. It's like, well, that doesn't look like anything else I've seen lately. That a guy like kind of that size, that fast doing that thing. It's like, you know, that guy was kind of special. He looks like Jeff Okuda, but not as stiff and a lot more fluid and a lot more athletic than what Jeff Okuda was. Yes. And that's not a knock on Jeff Okuda. That's just how good Sean Springs was. I might have missed it. I think some of this is my age, so it's just like my relation to what Sean Springs is. So much of what he was at Ohio State gets like, I don't know, it's not forgotten, but overshadowed by Sean Springs slips. And the fact that he was playing for these Michi- for these Ohio State teams who were uber talented but kept losing to Michigan. And Orlando Pace and Eddie George seem to be the only two who get who like overcome that. And it's because of what their NFL careers were as well as their Ohio State careers. While Sean Springs had a solid NFL career, but it's just unfortunate that he continued it's just it's the first thing you think of. 
and then you list all the other stuff. But yeah, it's it's that's a there were some super athletes on those '90s teams that I think would you drop them in right now and they'd be they'd still look like super athletes. Yeah. This is like the best of what Coop was. Is yeah. Coop had dudes like this. Yeah. And if <laughs> if we want to make like dude teams, oh yeah, let's take all the Ohio State coaches and make a dude team. And like you start your Coop dude team with. Orlando Pace, Sean Springs, and Eddie George, and it's like you you want to do this? We throw in David Boston. We can like you, you we'll throw in Corey Stringer. You want to do this? You want to do this? Urban mm. and Tress and Woody and everybody else. And then, but the minute you do it, you're like, and how they what? They couldn't beat Michigan. I can't. It makes no how sense. How many national titles did they win? But like you look at the talent, yeah. and guys like this pop. They pop, and it does not take much to drop them in right now and say, oh no, that still would work. All right, Sean Springs is 10. Nathan, pick 11 to you. So this is where I've, the round where I thought we might have the quarterback conversation. I actually thought I was a little bit high on the quarterback that I was going to take first, but uh, that was not the case. Um, and I thought it might be the first guy off the board, or the first quarterback off the board. And I think we're, it's it's fair to have the conversation now because I think there are better players in Ohio State history than the guy I'm about to take. But, and, and even in recent Ohio State history, but this reflects the progress Ohio State has made, especially under Ryan Day, to where now they are producing the kind of quarterback that the NFL covets, sometimes even overvalues, sometimes even will reach to draft. So with the 11th pick in this all-time NFL Ohio State draft, I will take C.J. Stroud, quarterback. So this feels right to me. I sort of half forgot a guy. So I had CJ ninth on my list. He might actually be 10th, but it's right around this range. But it is interesting. And this is where you you have to listen to the NFL to some degree. But what if the Jets took Justin Fields second? And what mm-hmm. if the Texans didn't take CJ Stroud and he falls a little bit? And then how would that, would that be well, that's what the NFL thinks, or would that be the NFL got in its own way? Because the way we were talking going into the draft, Stephen, we were like, okay, we we think CJ should be like a surefire number two, three, four pick in there. But man, it feels like the NFL maybe could overthink this a little bit. And if he had fallen to 11, would he be in our top 11 or not? You know what I mean? That it's yeah. it's it can be one of these things where, if you would have redone the Justin Fields draft 10 times, would he have gone higher than he actually went most mm. of the time? If you redid this draft, it just happened 10 times. Would there be worlds where the Texas, the Texans take Will Anderson second and don't make the trade and now CJ falls? It's like we reality matters, but there are also alternate versions of reality that easily could have happened that would affect our thinking. And because we don't have a couple of years since the draft, it's hard to really have that discussion with CJ because we're doing this a month and a half after he got employed while Justin's been on the job for two years here. I think part of this is CJ isn't the Justin Fields in his draft, both in the fact that he didn't fall, but also just like the physical prospect, right? It's like Anthony Richardson's technically the, the Justin Fields in terms of the physical prospect that he is, and so that's what makes it harder. But I just think this boils down to right now. I don't. I think Justin Fields just goes second if we do redo that 2021 NFL draft, while CJ kind of like is the prospect that he is. And I just, I, I, I 
Justin Fields just might. It's a, it's, it's a similar thing as Anthony Richardson, where you might come down to a situation where one has the higher floor, one has the higher ceiling from day one. We have done this exact podcast. I know. And I know. there are two things here. I cannot remember what we said, and I cannot remember what I think. <laughs> Who was the better NFL draft prospect coming out of Ohio State? Justin Fields or C.J. Stroud? And, well, that's not what this podcast is, so that's not what I dug into, and I I don't know what my own answer is to that question, Nathan. I don't remember doing that pod. I remember doing a pod that was sort of which quarterback would you take to win with at Ohio State, kind of. You know what I mean? And that's where a lot of Justin's intangibles push through. I remember picking Justin and whatever that conversation we were having. But I think that could be a different conversation than which one is a better NFL draft prospect in any given year. And it does come down to just which teams are picking and who who values what. And I think Steven makes a good point as far as there are guys, especially in this modern way of evaluating NFL talent, even quarterback talent, where they, they you want that athletic freak. And if he shows any kind of quarterback acumen, like what can you make out of that? And even though that is a way that a lot of teams feel, Stroud still went ahead of Richardson. So I thought both arguments apply here. You weren't on it, Nathan. Steven and I did okay. it. Steven and we I did, did it. And the podcast was an NFL quarterback debate. Would you take C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields? And that was the conversation we had sometime, I think, last year, and last you know, offseason. You want to know what's crazy? I think I picked C.J. Stroud on that pod. I think, I think, okay, but to be fair, we're also baking in, like, what they were as Ohio State, what they actually did at Ohio State. And this is, I, I hate that they're two polar opposite types of quarterbacks. It's, it's, it's annoying. But Justin Fields' Ohio State career was better than C.J. Stroud's Ohio State career. So if we're looking at them as prospects and like that's where the headbutt is and the tiebreaker is who was just better at Ohio State, then that's maybe where you lean Justin. Justin's got two Big Ten championship games. He's never he's never lost to, um, to Michigan, and he's won a playoff game. Yeah, I, but I, like this is a, a draft prospect thing. Like it's not – it's. That kind of stuff matters, but like the NFL disregards that kind of stuff sometimes all the time. It's like, you know, that it's, it's, well, what's your accuracy? What's your processing? How big are you? How fast are you? That kind of thing. They want to know how tough you are and are you a leader and did your team win? But in terms of NFL draft prospect status, right? For instance, the NFL, when they drafted Sean Springs, they didn't care that Ohio State lost to Michigan. Right. They're like, we're taking Orlando Pace and we're taking Sean Springs. Have you watched these guys play football? So it is. You can you can tilt the lens fifteen degrees and change the answer on a on a question like this. We could do Justin Fields or C.J. Stroud, and we could ask ten different questions. Tilt, 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 tilt. Go all three hundred and sixty three to three hundred sixty degrees around, and come up with. Well, here's five times Justin would win the argument. And here's yeah. five times C.J. would win the argument. But it's like, what are you asking? And it's like, well, I don't know. Good winner talent, skills, like, uh, you know, NFL fit, college fit, whatever. So in the end, I don't know that there is a definitive, absolutely correct answer to who's the better quarterback prospect coming out of Ohio State, Justin Fields or CJ Stroud. I, I don't, I think you could make the argument on either side. And in the end, 
I think Justin went about as low as he could have gone in his own draft and CJ went as high as he could have gone in his own draft. But I don't think it's impossible that the reality is CJ went two and Justin went 11. I don't think it's impossible that we could shake the dice of destiny and come up with a scenario where Justin goes two and CJ goes 11. Mm-hmm. And nothing else changes other than the way that GM on that day, Nathan, is making his final decision. So what does that mean for something like this? I think it means that you could land on either Justin or either CJ and feel pretty good about it. But I I think CJ here feels right to me. No, I I totally get where you're coming from. It is a little bit fickle and uh, not Luke fickle, the, the other way of using fickle and, uh, I, I, I think it, we're going to have an interesting head to head now. I mean, Justin's got a couple years head start on him. Justin has done some great things, has to prove himself in some other important ways. And as I texted about the other day, the Texans seem enthused about CJ Stroud, though. What else are they going to say about the guy? They just took a second overall and spent a, a few billion dollars on or whatever, but it's, it's going to be interesting. Like this, this is where it's what I said before. Yes. Ohio state quarterbacks were not necessarily drafted high in the past, but now it's become the assumption that an Ohio State quarterback, when it's his turn to go, is going to go in the top half of the NFL draft. He's going to have been a Heisman Trophy finalist. It's it's a new era and a new way to look at this, and, and we have to think of this in terms of how the current NFL would be evaluating these guys. All right, so I have, in the end, probably like a top 10 of guys that I feel like have to go in this first half of the draft. There are two of those spots left. I'm curious to see how this shakes out. Steven, pick 12 to you. So I'm just going to assume this guy isn't on Doug's list either because that's been the theme of this pod. But I do think it's this is how the draft viewed him. And at least for the first four, five, six years of this, he like backed that up. And I think at this position, you have to back it up immediately. And I'm going to take Zeke here. He's in the, I understand that running back value, the value of that position isn't always there, but when you take a guy this high, he needs to be a hit immediately. And we'll see with Bijan this year, if he can do that, but we've seen running backs go this high, whether it's him or Saquon Barkley hit immediately. Zeke was, he led the league in rushing his first year. So he lived up to it the very moment he got to the NFL. So, and he was the fourth pick in that 2016 NFL draft. And he lived up to it. So I'm going to take Zeke here. I don't think it's a reach to take this type of running back this early in a draft. And clearly neither did the Cowboys. So you were taking him 12th on my list. I had Zeke 12th. Hey. So Stephen and I finally agree. (laughs) I do think 15 running backs drafted in the first round in Ohio State history, Nathan, I don't know that there's much doubt that Zeke is the best prospect of those 15. Yeah, so I had him 20th, um, so that, that probably doesn't come as a surprise to anybody who listens to this podcast that I'm lower on the running backs, which is, I think, a little bit closer to the, the modern way of, of thinking about the NFL. Just because Elliott went fourth overall doesn't mean that was actually the right pick and the most efficient use of, of a draft spot, but I agree with what Steven is saying, that then, if you then follow what he did in the NFL... Um, clearly a instant success and a major, major impact and was the best running back in the NFL, arguably there for the first couple years of his career. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the fact that he hasn't extended it beyond that doesn't surprise me, which is why you don't draft running backs that high to some extent in the first place, because it's, it can be a short tail, but uh, a lot of wear and tear on him uh, along the way, but he, 
you know, I you would look at those Cowboy teams that in the long run didn't uh, really win a whole lot. I think they were, you know, they were 13 and three his first year and lost in the division round. Um, they've lost in the division round of the wild card the, the four times they've made the playoffs with him. And that means there's three years where they didn't even make the playoffs with him. So again, like as far as where he fit into that team success, I think you would argue that maybe there was maybe somebody better drafted at number four, but you could also argue that they were getting, they were getting the production that they paid for at number four, that there were probably other flaws on that team as well. So this is a life of a highly picked running back in the NFL. Felt right when they did it. Mm-hmm. He's now free agent because they cut him. He held out at the end of his rookie deal and they signed him to a six-year extension. I think they wound up letting him go four years into the six-year extension. Jalen Ramsey at corner was the pick after Ezekiel Elliott. And if you said to the Cowboys right now, do it again. Who do you take? They'd probably take Jalen Ramsey. Although Jalen Ramsey also is, on, is not on the team that picked him. Mm-hmm. But Jalen Ramsey is still a highly productive player in the league. And Zeke is kind of there for the taking at this point. But if you're going to be, if you're going to be in this conversation, you've got to be the dude at running back, which is why Saquon Barkley went number two, which is why Bijan Robinson went as high as he did in this draft. And Zeke was that dude. So I, this was a combine that I, this was the combine when Ohio State had, you know, 10 guys go in the first three rounds. I covered this combine very extensively. And I can remember being there and the conversation at the combine was, can you take it back in the top five? Can you take it back in the top five? Man, it's moving away from that. But maybe Zeke is is the exception, Stephen, that proves the rule. And I can remember thinking to myself, and this is not one of those, like, I really thought, like, why are we having this conversation about Derrick Henry? And they just didn't. And then Derrick Henry went in the second round, and then we saw what Derrick Henry's been. Mm-hmm. I think Derrick Henry would have justified it as well. But do you get the top-end production? I think Zeke was viewed that way, Stephen. Even in the modern NFL, Zeke was viewed as the exception. And I think when you – Consider his size, his mm-hmm. strength, his toughness, his blocking, his his get after itness. Like he was a guy that you felt like you could build a team around. And then they got Dak Prescott the same year, and they did build a team around Dak and Zeke. And man, they won some games. They just didn't get over the top. So in the end, I, I think Zeke was so rare coming out that he justified the conversation of the actual draft. And I think he absolutely justifies a conversation here as the number 12 pick. It's the profile coming in. And then it's the, the question there is, can you be all of that now, right now, day one, week one. And Zeke was at day one week. Cause I know you brought up Derrick Henry. It took Derrick Henry a couple of years. And then NFL to become the Derrick Henry of the years. Now he had like 500 rushing yards his first year. So yep. that's part of this is like, if you're going to take a guy who's the value isn't there, he's got to be, in the conversation to be the best player in his position by the end of the season. And that's where Zeke was. He led the league in rushing that year. And it's like, he was, he was awesome from day one. And if you're not, if he is 70% of what he was that rookie year, then this is a reach, a clear reach. And they probably shouldn't have done it. They gave him the ball more than 300 times in three of his first four seasons. And the year they didn't cause he got hurt. Yep. And he only played 10 games. And then it's like, Oh, I wonder what happened. It's like, you, beat the living daylights out of him. What do you think happened to him? Like this is, you can't carry the ball 300 times for nine straight years. So here we are at this point of his career and he's, he's on the second stage of his career. Now he's going to be, he's going to bounce around, he's going to sign with somebody, whatever, be a backup running back and be fine. But this is for what he was. I think he maxed out what he could be. And I, I, I think he belongs in this conversation around here. There are two guys that I think, absolutely lutely need to be taken soon 
and they will be as we finish up the first 16 picks on our ultimate Ohio State draft after this. All right, pick 13, I'm reaching in the way back, and I'm reaching for a guy who did wind up being a pro football Hall of Famer, and I am going to take Jim Parker, who maybe should have already gone. He is the number eight overall pick in 1957. He's a guard at Ohio State who then becomes a tackle in the NFL with the Baltimore Colts and was viewed as pass blocking for John Unitas was viewed as maybe like the best tackle, pass blocking tackle, became a pro football Hall of Famer. But at Ohio State, he's he's awesome. He's the most valuable player on the 1956 Ohio State team. He wins the Outland Trophy. He finishes eight in the Heisman. He's a unanimous All-American. He's like unbelievable. He's an unbelievable player, Nathan. And again, whether he's a, he sort of was like a guard. He was a guard in college when his team ran the ball. Because by the way, Hop Cassidy won the Heisman running behind him. And then when he got to the NFL and his team threw it, then he was, he was a tackle. And the the result is he's one of the best offensive linemen in the history of football. And so I had him seventh on my list. We're taking him here 13th. Just to be real, he probably should be in our top 10. He's Jim Stinkin' Parker. He's a pro football Hall of Famer. And he was just like he was everything in that era that you wanted him to be. And then it's like, okay, when you were doing the Quentin Nelson stuff for Hicks, because Hicks, John Hicks always was a tackle. Mm. Like Quentin Nelson, that's the kind of comment. I was like, listen, I don't. Just put this guy on the line and he's going to stonewall the dude across from him. Whatever you were, wherever you want to put him, whatever play you want to call, Jim Parker's going to win. He is an absolute all-time legend. And so I will take him 13th here in our draft. Yeah, Hicks just had that guard size, which was, as Stephen alluded to, that kind of entered in that that comparison for me. But I had him in, I had him 18th on my list, but I, I certainly after hearing the way you've broken that down, I would agree that that's, that's far too low. Um and, uh, you know, this has always been one of my quibbles that, like, the, the great awards in this sport, like Heisman and stuff, like, they don't take into account, like, guys who are just this great, this pound-for-pound pound great. Um, it, it's, you know, once every 15 years or whatever, they throw a guy a bone. And I, I wish that these guys got more recognition. Paul Zimmerman, who was kind of like the guru line guy of the NFL, longtime Sports Illustrated writer, there's a quote that I'm reading that Parker was quote the best pure pass blocker who ever lived. So it's like, oh. so I think he's like another guy who like was the man in college and then backed it up in the NFL again. Rare, rare, rare. It doesn't mean he should have gone in the top five or anything. Um, Jim Parker in your wheelhouse anywhere here, Steven. He was number 10 on my board right behind Zeke, ZQ Elliott. So, yep. yeah. So like, this is the range and it's again, it's like, you try to think of like guard tackle, like what is it then? It's like guards, right? Interior offensive linemen probably matter a little bit more in the run game. Now you're in the pass game, but he bridged the gap. So he's just a tr- extraordinary player. Obviously. It, it's these guys where, and there's no tape, obviously, but like when you read about certain guys, the thing with offensive linemen that stand out to me as the guy who loves the skill players is when you can turn blocking into a highlight reel, because you're just that good at it and you're that much of a bully, that stands out to me. And when you, when you read about guys like this, it's like, I can imagine that people were showing up just to watch him block and they went home satisfied because he was putting people on their butts time and time again. Jim Parker, all-time legend, pro football hall of famer, 13th tier. Nathan Baird pick 14 to you. This is my last guy that was in my original top 10. 
and um, a, a guy that we, we've had some other posi- guys at this position taken that I would have taken this guy over again, just based on the way that he was rated at the time of the draft. And it, and it, it, it even looks more distinct in retrospect because the guy at the top was a, a the clear consensus number one quarterback. And then the number two guy was a, a freak of nature. And then third, so with the 14th overall pick in this Ohio State all-time draft, I will take the guy that went third, and that is cornerback Jeff Okuda. And I would definitely hear the arguments of about people like the Sean Springs of the world. But that 2019 season, and we, we've talked ourselves blue in the face about, uh, well, maybe not blue in the face, red in the face, because it's Ohio State. The, the yin and the yang of the pass rush and the defensive backs. But I just remember watching that season and having this, this distinct feel that teams were just ignoring half the field. That with Jeff Okuda out there, they were just sort of um, resigning themselves to, to playing with less because the the effects of challenging Akuda were seen as as not being uh, worth it, and clearly his NFL career has not followed up the 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 way that he was rated at the time. But uh, that's 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 a high play. I mean, number three overall to be taking a a corner, um, and the Lions had other options at that at that spot and other needs for sure. But they saw the impact of of. Okuda being so great that they couldn't pass it up there. And I think that reflected the way the consensus of the NFL. It, it, it was not a surprise when he went number three behind Burrow and Young. I think we've clearly been affected by the fact that it has not gone well for him. He actually has been mm-hmm. traded to the Atlanta Falcons now. You're taking him 14th, Nathan. I had him 11th on my list. I had him I had him like in my second cut. Like I, t- in the end, for me, there's like nine or ten top guys who, like, kind of to me are the are the guys who are the they've got to be here. But Okuda's at the top of that next list, and they, we have again what we're trying to do. You know, if he had a couple Pro Bowls under his belt, Stephen, I think we may have taken him higher here, right? But I think Nathan, you're smart to take him here because Stephen, we have to remember what this guy was, and this guy was the number three pick in the draft, and nobody batted an eye. Right. It, none of mm-hmm. us who covered him were like, I, we were like, yeah, no, third pick in the draft. That's exactly right. He's one of the few guys that's been drafted so far that hasn't at least had like a moment in the NFL where you feel like that's why he was taken that high. And some of that is injuries, but some of that is just, it just hasn't correlated from college to the NFL for him, which is why now he's on his second team still his rookie contract here. But it's just, it's, you're right. It's not nobody was shocked that he went number three in the draft. But now what's followed now, if you it's kind of revisionist history, of course. But you look back at the draft, it's like I can't believe this guy went that high. But it did, it made perfect sense in 2020 when he was going through the draft process. He got hurt early in his NFL career, and I think it threw him off. And I think maybe plus coaching change. You know, like, you know. Just yeah, I think he got caught in between a little bit, and I think just stuff you'd read of people covering the Lions. It's like I don't know, like did he did he really have that dog in him when he got on the field after his hurt? But it's like when you're not healthy, sometimes it's hard to be that. And so it could be a reset in Atlanta, and maybe we'll see it. But again, I I think when you think about what they were coming out, I think this is right in the range, Nathan, and I do think he deserved to go in the top half of this ultimate first round because again you just you just have to think of what he was and he kind of was at the time viewed as like the 
the, the perfect cornerback prospect in the modern age in a lot of ways. And so uh, this is a good pick here. Steven, that will bring pick 15 to you. So there's one more guy left on this list who was the number one pick in his draft as well. And positional value linebacker is not necessarily viewed the same way that it was viewed then, but you have to look at some linebackers and think, what else can he do? And it's almost like the Micah Parsons, Von Miller concept of these guys are linebackers, but when it's money time, we just turn them into edge rushers and say, go get the ball. And I'm one, I was looking at this list and wondering which of these linebackers can be that. And I think Tom, excuse me if I'm not saying this right, but I've tried to practice it a couple of times. Tom Kazanu, number number Cousineau. one. Cousineau, number nine, number one pick in the 1979 NFL draft. And I think this is a guy who, if you plop him in this area, I mean, he racked up tackle after tackle after tackle in the area where everything was considered a tackle. But I do think this is a guy where if you throw him in this age, he can still rack up tackles for you. And on third down, in like a 3-4 scheme, you throw him on the edge and say, find the ball and go get it. So we're, you're picking him 15th here. I had him 10th or 11th on my list. He's at the top of my list of not the first group, but then the next group of guys. Mm-hmm. Weird thing, he gets drafted by the Buffalo Bills in 1979. He has a disagreement with them. He goes to the Canadian Football League and plays for the Montreal Alouettes instead. Mm-hmm. He then comes back to the NFL after a couple years and winds up with the Browns as the Browns leading tackler, like three out of the four years that he's there. Then he signs in San Francisco and it doesn't really work out there. And it's a weird NFL career. Just because think about that. He's the number one pick in the NFL draft and he goes to the CFL. So that alone is like, well, when did that happen in the 1800s? Like, no, it's 1979. But and again, I was just watching. We didn't cover him. I was watching stuff like he looks different on the highlights. He looks different. He's standing in the middle of the defense, and it's like, well, I guess we can't run there because that guy's going to tackle us. And again, his tackle numbers are through the roof. So he is part of this legacy. But then again, he, he does get do some edge rush stuff. Like he yeah. is kind of a versatile guy. I, I, and again, I just think, Nathan, it's one of these it's almost like they didn't put as much thought into it back then. They didn't like the way you evaluate the NFL draft. Like in 1979, it's a little more like, I don't know. Tom Kuzma is pretty good at football. You want to take him number one. It's like, yeah, let's take him number one. And it's not the same thing. And so if you really, really dug in and it's like, I don't know, should he really have been the number one pick for the position he played and what he was going to bring? But it's like Phil Sims was the number seven overall pick in that draft out of Moorhead state. As a quarterback, you know, it's like, it's just, it's just ancient history. It's just, it's, it's like a, it's like they showed up. It's like they did a podcast. They put about as much thought into the draft as we did for this. And it's like, it's the future of your team. Yeah. But they looked and they were like, he plays at a famous place. He is all over the place whenever the other team has the ball. And he has huge tackle numbers and look at him. He's a monster. Take him. So I think he deserves to be in this conversation right in this range, Nathan. I had him 24th on my list, so I did have him being you know, taken as one of the 32. But it's, it was hard to look at it through the gauge of the current NFL and relative to the value that they would see in so many other positions that where they would take him. But I think you have to you can you, you have to use your imagination and and move him around and once you start doing that then i i guess you you can probably see it 
it's just it's interesting that this is one of those positions. It's really it's linebacker and running back, right? Even more so than defensive tackle. Like linebacker and running back, where if, if somebody is taken in the first half of the draft, it's almost like a major story. Like, oh my God, they took a running back thirteenth? Like, what are they doing? They took they took a linebacker fifteenth? What's going on? And where teams like have to justify in a way that they don't have to in any other position anymore. So I think this is right. I think this is right for Kuzno to to be in this mix here on the first half of the this first round. And that will bring us to the last guy. I, I thought about him. I had him even higher on my list than I made my list, and I forgot to put him on. And if I had for not forgotten, he may have already gone by now. But I don't know that I really would have taken him any of the, ahead of the any other guys that I've taken. And it is a little bit of another translation of you're taking an old guy and trying to put him in the modern NFL – but I think he translates the best of any older Ohio State player. So with the 16th pick in the ultimate Ohio State draft, Doug Maurice will select Jack Tatum, safety slash corner, who was the actual 19th pick in the 1971 NFL draft, which I think is just because nobody threw the ball that much back then. So like, I don't know. And then he got to the NFL and changed the NFL. He's the guy who blew everybody up. And he is the guy. He's part of the Super Softs. He's the defensive leader of the Super Softs. And he's the guy. You go back and read the stories. He's like a safety. But when they play teams that actually throw the ball, they're like, uh, Jack, go cover the best receiver. So he is a devastating physical safety and a lockdown corner. And I don't know the the ins and outs of how he only went 19th in his draft. But I think. I think this guy's Jalen Ramsey. I think this guy, this guy right now, whatever, this guy's Ed Reed. I don't know. This guy is everything you want in a back-end defender who's physical but can also cover. And so probably my intention was actually to take him a little higher than this. I was thrown off by the fact that he only went 19th in his own draft. But I think, Nathan, he's rare. He's different. He's impactful, and I think in the modern NFL, you could draft a safety-corner combo with his skill set 16th and justify it and feel pretty good about it. Not because, not because like, oh, he's a pretty good safety, but because, I don't know, this guy's going to change our defense. And I think Jack Tatum proved over the course of his college and NFL career that he was that kind of player. I think you absolutely could. I think the question, and that's what debates like this are great for, is like, did in the modern NFL, they would have seen him doing it against modern quarterbacks, modern receivers. And now you have to sort of extrapolate and, 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 and do some imagination, even when you watch him on film and say, well, what does that look like against the modern NFL receiver? The guy, the kind of guys that Ohio state, frankly, is putting in the first round of the NFL draft every year. And uh, I think that's a fair question. Uh, I would not have rated him this high. Um, but I totally, I mean, I have a great respect for what he did in his career, obviously. And I, I understand the argument that you're making. And then perhaps, I mean, it, worst case scenario, he can't cover the modern receiver at an NFL level, which would just make him an absolutely terrifyingly fast, impactful, ferocious safety at the back end of a defense. Steven, did you have Jack Tatum on your radar at all? I had him in this range. And I thought about moving him lower, and I thought about moving him higher. I thought about moving him higher because that dude's a thumper. 
literally. And then, I mean, he did change defenses in that era. But I also thought about moving him lower because as, as, as impactful as he was, he's 5'10", 200 pounds. And there was part of me that's like, what if he's a nickel today? And while he's a valuable nickel, and that's, that's becoming more and more valuable by the year, do you take a nickel in the first round of the NFL draft? Or do you take him with the 41st pick in the NFL draft? I think that's an interesting question, but I think if you're an NFL team, you can justify it and say, yeah, he's probably only going to be a nickel. We think he's going to be the, the guy that defines what being a nickel is for like a decade. Yeah. That's how good he is at this. And I, that's actually that even, I think that's even enhances Doug's argument. All right. Those are our 16 picks to recap. Pick number one, Orlando Pace. Pick number two, Chase Young. Pick number three, Justin Fields. Pick number four, Joey Bosa. Pick number five, Nick Bosa. Pick number six, Denzel Ward. Pick number seven, John Hicks. Pick number eight, Big Daddy Wilkinson. Pick number nine, Corey Stringer. Pick number 10, Sean Springs. Pick number 11, CJ Stroud. Pick number 12, Ezekiel Elliott. Pick number 13, Jim Parker. Pick number 14, Jeff Okuda. Pick number 15, Tom Cousineau. Pick number 16, Jack Tatum. We will do the second half on the, of the first round on the next pod. Nathan, I will say, my gotta take guys, we took them all. So I, I feel like, honestly, the guys, my top 12 got taken. The guys I have 13th through 16th are not super famous. And it is like, there's a little bit of a line here where all of a sudden, we might start taking some players that there are listeners that haven't heard of them. We might start taking some modern day players who are like, well, he's good, but you know, I mean, it's not, you know, I don't know. And it'll be interesting to see how it evolves because I do feel like it's as much as we said, there's 38 guys, Nathan, 38 Ohio state Buckeyes who have been taken in the top 10. There's not 32 guys that are like, oh my God, they weren't like, you know, it's, there's still question marks. So I think like everybody who doesn't have a little bit of a question mark, I think we took in these top 16, Nathan. Yeah. My top 10 is gone. And then I have uh, like six of my next seven are on the board though. And I think we probably all have, this is where maybe there's going to be start being the most divergence in our lists. Like the top 10, you can have a pretty good consensus on top 12 and certainly top half, but then it's going to start splintering a little bit. So Stay tuned for episode two, because I think that's where we're going to get into some some more contrast. I will say we took all three guys who were overall number one picks. We took three of the four who were overall number two picks. And the guy we didn't take was Jim McDonald from 1938. And we took four of the five who were number three picks. And the guy we didn't take is Hop Cassidy, the Heisman winner from the 50s. So, Stephen, I do think, like, again, like the... The cream, cream, cream of the top I, of the crop. I think we 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 made sure we dealt with them now, and I think we can branch off in a million different ways in the second half of this first round. I think it's a good thing that all the number one picks went because that does matter. Like when we're talking about how they viewed you on draft day, well, they thought you were better than everybody else. That that don't that doesn't change regardless of what's going on here. I am interested to see in the second part of the draft because if you really only one skill position player on offense with who's a non-quarterback and I wonder does that change on the second half especially as I don't know if you look at what modern day Ohio State is that has become the norm to see non-quarterback position skill position players go on the first round does this kind of mirror that or do we still kind of stick with what we've seen through this first 16 picks 
Yeah, no receivers, as you said, and it will be very interesting to see how many receivers go in the second half of this first round, which ones go first. I have a guy that did not wind up in my top 16, but almost did. And and I think I'm not sure that we will have agreement on because what we're just what are we deciding? We're deciding who's the best receiver draft prospect in Ohio State history, Nathan. Like Steven's gonna have his, you're gonna have yours, and I'm gonna have mine. And I don't know that we will agree on that. And I'm very curious on where we might disagree and what that means for pick 17 through 32. I can tell you that a receiver will be taken at pick 17. Because it will belong to Nathan Baird. Do we also agree on this? Marv would have been drafted by now. Yeah. Ooh, uh, yeah. I, don't, uh, hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I think he... Um... Because I listen, we're taking pick seventeen. I mean, is is Marvin Harrison Jr. is it substantially different than than like Jeff Okuda was a consensus All American, a unanimous All American coming out uh, as a corner after his third year? I mean, it's not it's not a significant difference. But this next year, uh, the other th- it, it, we, part of it is a projection because like we've already seen Marvin be this good, and now what if there's a step? And it's hard. I think the hard thing with Marvin is there's no testing numbers with him. So and I think that play like if he he's six four two oh five, if he goes out there and runs like a four three eight, <laughs> like what do you do with that? But if he goes out there and runs like a four four eight or a four five, and it's like he's still all those things, but he's also just another tall receiver who's an elite route runner. So it's it's it, because you don't the, these other guys we know if they're freaks or not. We don't know that with Mar well. We have the freaks list, but we don't have official NFL timing numbers yet. We can continue that conversation on the next pod when we do start drafting receivers. For now, we hope you guys, I don't know, enjoyed, found it interesting, were mad about anything, elicited some reaction. I, I don't know that I've ever seen this done before, which is part of why we wanted to do it. So try to analyze Ohio State. And again, it's we're threading the needle. It's not the best college players in Ohio State history. It's not the best NFL players in Ohio State history. It's the best NFL draft prospects in Ohio State history. So 16 down, 16 more to go. We'll do that on the next Buckeye Talk for now. For Nathan Baird and for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.